book is so awesome. I can do anything. This book is so awesome. I am the potions king. Did you hear that half blood prince? I said I was the king. Can you hear me, Professor Snape? I can make anything. This book is so awesome. Hi, my name is Joel Watson. And I'm Lily Watson. And you're listening to Potter and Daughter, the Harry Potter podcast, where I talk to my eight-year-old daughter as she reads through the Harry Potter book series. We're still on what book? What book is this? Five? Book five, The Order of the Phoenix. The Order, Harry Potter, and The Order of the Phoenix. And we are on chapter seven from where we left off on chapter six. So the next one is seven. And that is The Ministry of Magic. Harry was... On his way to the ministry, right? With Mr. Weasley, I believe. Yes. For what reason? There's something something always wrong in Harry's life. What's wrong in Harry's life today? He's having a trial. About what? He used magic in front of Dudley, so um, that sort of means he broke a law, so he's having a trial to see if he's innocent or not. Yeah, so he's, he's been accused, I believe he's also being accused of possibly even being the one to have cursed Dudley since no one believes there were Dementors uh, out there. So uh, not only is he going to have a trial about potentially breaking the law, but he's also, uh, what is the other consequence that he's facing right now? Oh, yeah, he's going to be expelled. Again, yeah. He's always about to be kicked out of Hogwarts for some reason. So so anywho, they head to the hearing, uh, Mr. Weasley and... Uh, and Harry and Sirius, I assume in dog form, uh, and Lupin and Tonks, and they're all ready to head out. They have to go. We have not seen the inside of the ministry yet, but Mr. Weasley works there, right? Right. When they get to the ministry, what is the way that they get into the building? It's kind of interesting. They go into a broken telephone box, and Harry's like, uh, Mr. Weasley, I don't think this works. Do you even know what a phone booth is? I, mean, I know you've never seen one. Do you have any concept of what a phone booth is? I've seen them on TV before. Okay, so they're they're basically they've basically all been removed from the world at this point. But before cell phones, and even during cell phones, you would uh, you would use pay phones, which would be like a quarter, and eventually thirty five cents, and eventually more, I think, to make a phone call. And sometimes they would be self-contained inside these little booths. Yeah. And uh, what they go into is sort of the uh, classical British phone booth, which is this kind of red structure with windows. Uh, definitely not big enough for two people, though. But they're both crammed in there. And do you remember what Mr. Weasley punches in? No. So this is kind of interesting. I don't remember the exact numbers. Uh, let me see if I've got them here. 62442. Now... On old telephone booth, public payphones, and even on old telephones that we used to have, and even on the first cell phones, honestly, this is a thing that's just recently gone away. Every number on the phone represented three letters of the alphabet, and 62442 spells out magic. So that's not a very secret password, but it's also not something that you maybe... You would normally put in. Yeah, people wouldn't be looking for that. But that's how people used to say, like, call 1-800-Harry-Potter. Yeah, and you would, you would put in the numbers that way. And that's the thing that has really only disappe- disappeared from the world in the last few years. Uh, that actually seems really helpful. I've, I wish that was actually true. Like, well, trust me, it's not. Because you have to, if you had to put, like, JKL, it would be, like, 555. You had to do the same number. Like, pressing two once would be A, pressing two twice would be B, and pressing two three times would be C. Yeah, I know. It doesn't make any sense. That's the best we had. We didn't have smartphones with touchscreens. <laughs> Harry doesn't either. So he'd be lucky to have that. So anyway, they head into the uh, the secret entrance. What what do they what do they see as they go in? I know they get they get onto an elevator. They're sort of going through all the different levels. Do you remember any of the weird departments they pass through? Um They've got Department of Magical Games and Sports. They've got British and Irish Quidditch League headquarters, uh, official Gobstones Club. I don't know what that is. Well, the the Ludicrous Patents Office. Ludicrous. <laughs> that means like uh, outlandish, crazy, insane. Kinda, yeah. I don't know why they'd be patenting insane things. Uh, Department of Magical Transportation, the Flu Network Authority, 
the broom regulatory control. Like we've got, we've got uh, departments and and uh, things that that govern, you know, uh, cars and highways, and they've got things that govern flu networks and brooms. I guess you get a ticket if you fly your broom too fast or something. <laughs> well, there's really no such thing as flying a broom too fast. Maybe there is. Maybe you can fly dangerously. I don't know. Well, pretty much the only time you use a broom, like, you don't use it on roads. So I bet if you did, though, I bet you get in trouble. Don't you think? Muggles would see you, so why would you? I'm not saying you have a good reason. People speed in their cars. They don't have good reasons. They still get in trouble. They have a good reason because they can get to the place they want to go faster. Right, but they still get in trouble because they're breaking the law. Right. You've got uh, Department of Magical Accidents and Catastrophes, uh, Accidental Magic Reversal Squad. They've ha- they've been brought in on Harry a couple of times, haven't they? Mm-hmm. They've got Muggle-Worthy Excuse Committee. What do you think that is? Probably the place Harry needs to be. <laughs> Maybe. Um, it sounds like maybe it's the kind of place where they figure out how to convince muggles that magical things didn't happen. Maybe they work with the, uh, what was the thing I just said? The, um, the accidental magic reversal squad and the muggle excuse department work together to try and convince muggles that magic didn't happen. I don't know. They also uh, passed the Auror headquarters, and we know an Auror is a what? A dark wizard catcher. And who does, uh, which Auror does Harry meet at this time? Mm. Kingsley Shacklebolt. Oh. He's got one of my favorite names in the whole series. <laughs> I like his name a lot. So they run into him, and uh, Mr. Weasley and, and Kingsley have a, have a brief conversation. Do we know? I don't want to say yet. I know that, have you, do you know who Kingsley is yet? Yes. Who is he? I can't say it right off the top of my head. He's a member of the Order. I hope we know that. I hope I'm not spoiling that for you. No, we know. Okay, good. He's a member of the Order of the Phoenix. He is a high up or type guy in the Ministry of Magic. Uh, they reach the misuse of Muggle Artifacts office. This is where Mr. Weasley works. He has kind of a small, cramped, uh, messy office. Kingsley gives Mr. Weasley a copy of a magazine. What's the magazine called? He says he needs to give it to Sirius. Mm. The Quibbler. Oh, I don't remember that happening. I think, and I, I'm not 100% certain about this, but I think perhaps they are using the Quibbler as a way to pass information to other members of the Order. I know that the person who publishes the Quibbler is not in the Order, but I, I, know, I do know that he is a supporter of Harry. And of the truth. I also know um, who he is, too. Okay. Well, we haven't met him or his family yet, so I don't don't think we're supposed to know at this point. A memo flies in saying that there is a a third regurgitating public toilet. (laughs) Mr. Weasley has to investigate immediately because that's his job, apparently. I guess they're saying it's not a wizard toilet. It's a uh, muggle toilet that someone has magicked up. Yeah, it it is um, because they mentioned in the book they're uh, they're not just joking around with muggle stuff for no reason. And then uh, they're heading off to the courtroom. Have have they described at this point what wizarding elevators are like? Do they just go up and down? Uh, Don't they? No. They go up, down, sideways, left, right. Oh, sort of They're like, like Wonkavators. Yeah, I was about to say um, exactly that, yeah. Yeah, they're like Wonkavators, so they're, they're a bit more interesting than muddle elevators. Chapter 8, The Hearing. Harry recognizes the courtroom. Where has he seen it before? He's seen it in Dumbledore's memory in the last book. Yeah, in the Pensieve. He is... This is the, this is the high wizarding court. It's kind of like the, the wizard Supreme Court, at least of Britain... Uh, do you remember what they're called? The Wizengamot. It's hard. It's hard to say that. <laughs> yeah, that's a good one too. I like that name. There's also, um, also later. There's this thing called the Wizengamot. That's a pretty cool name too. No, that is it. The Wizengamot. That's how it's pronounced. Mom, mommy was saying it Wizengamot. Nope, Wizengamot. <laughs> they say it in the movies, so I'm gonna go with their pronunciation. Okay. Harry is late. And he says, uh, I didn't know the time changed. And a representative from the Wizengamot says, it's not our fault. We're not, it's not our job to tell you 
one to be here, but isn't it kind of? Yes. There's about 50 wizards sitting there staring down at him. Cornelius Fudge seems to be the one in charge of... Like, all of them are either on one or two lines. Yeah, and Cornelius Fudge seems to be the one in charge of prosecuting Harry. Percy is there taking notes for Fudge. I doubt Harry is, you know, super happy to see Percy. No one's that fond of Percy at this point. No. The interrogators. So, right away we know that it sounds like no one's on Harry's side. The interrogators are Cornelius Oswald Fudge, Minister of Magic. Amelia Susan Bones, head of the Department of Magical Law Enforcement. So she's like the number one wizard cop. I also, I also um, know a, another person who who's related to her. Who? She's, actu- she's actually mentioned in um, the movies, maybe even the books. Um, her name is um, Susan. Her, um, the kid's name is Susan Bones. Was she go to Hogwarts? Yeah. Oh, okay. I think I think that um, Susan Bones is um, maybe her mom. It, it's either or grandma. Her, it's either her mom or her grandma. Yeah. Yeah. It's less. It's less common to name a daughter after a mother, but a daughter named after a uh, grandma. Middle name of a grandma or a middle name of a mother, maybe. Um. So she's like chief wizard cop. We've got Dolores Jane Umbridge, who we will soon learn to dislike very much. Yes. Senior undersecretary to the minister. And Percy Ignatius Weasley, as the court scribe. That means he's going to be taking all the notes. It worries me that Percy is the one taking the notes, because that'll be the official record. Do you think Percy is going to take honest notes, or notes that make Fudge look good and right? Probably um, probably Fudge look good uh, more than half. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, don't, I, I doubt he's super interested in being impartial, which means being fair and unbiased. So Harry is, he receives his charges. He is charged with performing the Patronus charm, but Madam Bones kind of stops everything. What does she think about this? Um, about Harry's producing a Patronus. I don't get, I don't know. Well, is she upset that a child could produce a Patronus? Oh, she's actually more surprised. She's impressed. She, he has not been taught that yet in school, and children normally cannot do that. She's like, wait, hold it. You performed a full Patronus? Yeah, he produced a full corporeal Patronus, which means it had a full body and everything. And that's something that even adult wizards might not be that good at if they don't have any reason to learn it. Harry explains why he produced that Patronus. What was he doing it for? He was doing it because... There were Dementors on a Muggle street, and him and his cousin were being attacked. Obviously, everyone believes him, right? No. Of course not. Oh, you know you know what we missed? Uh, also, uh, before he is charged, who shows up to speak on Harry's behalf? Oh, Dumbledore. Yes. Witness for the defense, Albus Percival Wolfric Brian Dumbledore. Yeah, he has a really weird name. That's how he would say it. Originally, when you when you finally see the movie, you'll you'll hear Michael Gambon say, "Witness for the defense, Albus Percival Wolfric Brian Dumbledore." It's kind of how he pronounces it. But. <laughs> so anyway, he shows up to speak for Harry, and uh, once again, I believe uh, I think this is the point where he mentions they're like, "Oh, Dumbledore, I see you got the notice. The time had changed." And he says, "No, but I did get here." Three hours early, because I knew you were going to pull some shenanigans like that. They were hoping that no one would show up to speak for Harry. No one that's on Harry's side. So Dumbledore calls a witness for Harry. Who does he call to speak on his behalf? Mrs. Fig. And Mrs. Fig explains what she saw. Now, Mrs. Fig, being a squib, is not magical. Did she see the Dementors? Yes. She, She did not. Squibs and muggles cannot see Dementors. She saw what they were doing. And she knows enough about what a Dementor is just from living in the magical world to to recognize when it's doing something to a person. She can see the coldness and she can see the effect it's having on people. So she corroborates his story, saying that uh, he was defending himself, defending his cousin, And Dumbledore is playing Harry's case. Dumbledore brings up a good point here, and that is if 
Harry's telling the truth, if there were Dementors, there's only two possibilities. Possibility one is that the Ministry has lost control of the Dementors and they're doing whatever they want. That's bad. What's possibility two? Who else might be controlling the Dementors? Dark Wizards. For instance... Voldemort. The one that no one believes is back except for Harry and Dumbledore and the people that trust them. Right. So Dumbledore wants to use this as a sort of a wake-up call to the Wizengamot, saying, guys, no matter what, this is bad for us. I, Harry says there was Dementors out in public. There was Dementors. Fig says there's Dementors out in public. Then there's Dementors. So what's your excuse? They don't have one. All they end up doing is saying that Harry's not guilty. They don't really agree that there were Dementors in public. What does, uh, when, when Dumbledore says what these options are, what does uh, Dolores Umbridge say that sort of shows us what kind of person she is? She says, Ahem. <laughs> That's how she gets people's attention. And she says, pardon me, Professor, but it seems as... Forgive me, forgive me, just being silly, but it seems that you're saying the Ministry may have ordered this attack on this boy? <laughs> <laughs> Certainly not. You know, something to that effect. And uh, Dumbledore says, you know, that's a startling prospect indeed, Madam Undersecretary. That uh, he's kind of saying, yeah, that is what I'm saying. And I'm saying maybe... There's dark wizards working in the ministry or in control of the ministry now. And you need to figure it out, you know? Mm-hmm. So Harry's hearing is over and he is successful. Um, at least in not getting kicked out of Hogwarts and not getting, I don't know what would happen to him. Would he go to jail? I don't, I don't really understand what the, uh, what the punishment would have been. Other than getting kicked out of Hogwarts. And having his wand broken. That's such a weird punishment to me because I don't even understand if that means can't he just go buy a new one? Or does that mean he's like Hagrid where he can just he's banned from using magic? Like, does that mean they won't sell you a wand like you were on a blacklist that you are you are you you'd have to like go acquire a wand by like stealing it from someone or buying it second hand or something. I mean, obviously dark wizards aren't getting, you know, proper wand licenses. So I don't know. It's just a weird punishment. I don't, I don't fully understand what their, the total scope of that punishment is. Uh, chapter nine, the woes of Mrs. Weasley. Dumbledore gets out of there without even talking to Harry, right? Mm -hmm. Harry has had no contact with Dumbledore. He's still feeling on the outs with Dumbledore. Uh, Harry runs outside and, and, and sort of grabs Mrs. Weasley, Mr. Weasley. And who is Fudge speaking to? Is this where we see Moody? No, this is where he's talking to Mr. Uh, Malfoy. Oh. Malfoy. Oh, I thought that was Kingsley. Malfoy is uh, making arrangements to make a large financial donation in order for you know, favors. He wants to make sure that he's got the minister's ear for all this money he's donating, right? Right. Um, he also, if you remember, mentioned that the reason he got those great box seats in the last book to the uh, Quidditch World Cup was for making a large donation to St. Mungo's. Wait, hold on. Wasn't it Barty Crouch who got the seats? Lucius Malfoy was sitting up there and the reason he was able to get those seats is because he had made a large do donation. But so one thing we know about Lucius Malfoy is he has a lot of money and he uses it to get favors, to get people to listen to him and to scare people. Hmm? Who else has a lot of money? Harry. And do you remember what Harry does with his money as he's leaving the ministry? There's a fountain that says... Oh, that's right. What happens? Um, Harry said... At the beginning, um, if if I um, get um, if I am declared innocent, 
then I will put 10 galleons into this fountain. He has more than 10 galleons. He doesn't see the entire bag in there. Yeah, and a galleon is like 50 bucks, so he was going to give like $500. Let's assume he probably puts in something like two or $3,000 worth of gold. It's a whole purse full of gold. And for Harry, you know, he's got a bunch of gold. He probably just grabs a handful of it and sticks it in his purse in case he needs it. He's, he's not thinking about it. Um, so he donates, you know, potentially thousands of dollars to the hospital. Uh, but will anyone know it came from him? No, it's just in a fountain. No one knows. So that is a very good contrast between why Lucius Malfoy would give a hospital money and why Harry would give a hospital money. What are their reasons? Why are they different? Malfoy would do, Malfoy would do it, um, to get people to do special things for him, like repay the favor by forcing them to do it. Yeah. Like I spent money on this, so you owe me. That's his deal. Like forcing them to want to do it. And then Harry does it just to be nice. Yeah, so that the world will be better. He's got money. He's got more than he needs. Hospital needs money, so he helps out. Uh, they'll never know it came from world-famous Harry Potter, but they will be happy to receive it and put it to good use. So there's a very um, very different motivation, you know, for these two characters for why they would spend their money. Right. I don't know how Harry's wealth may compare to the Malfoys, but obviously he's, you know, inclined to do good with with whatever money he has. He's already, you know, he's already helped start a small business by giving Fred and George money. Right. So he's he's trying to make the, uh, he's trying to improve the lives of the people around him and, and the world in general. As they go back to Grimmauld Place... Everyone's happy that Harry is cleared of his charges. Yeah, Harry and Hermione are there. I mean, not, um, I mean, Ron and Hermione are there. Uh, Sirius is looking sad, they say, and that perhaps he would have liked it if Harry had been expelled. Why do you think Sirius would want Harry to be expelled? That way, there would be um, part of his family there with him. He, He would be free to live with Harry and, and they could sort of, you know, build their relationship because there's this promise of a someday relationship. If, and when Sirius is declared innocent and if, and when they're allowed to live together, then someday they'll be able to grow up as a family. So both of them want this, but maybe neither of them are sure what has to happen to make it real. Like they know they want this, but they don't they don't necessarily know the consequences consequences of how it's going to happen. Yeah. Ron and Hermione get some interesting news in their mail. What do they find out from school? Okay, Fred, George, um Ron and Harry are all in the same room. Hermione's downstairs doing something. Um um they they receive their um, they all receive their new Hogwarts lists. Um, um, Fred, Fred, George, and Harry are just talking about so- stuff. And then um, Fred and George notice that Ron is just staring with his mouth open at his, um, at his letter. Um, um, Fred and George are like, what you doing, Ron? What What's wrong? And then they go over Ron to see what's so exciting um and um and then they pull the letter from his hand and they're like what because it turns out ron got a prefect's badge yeah so ron's been named prefect and dumbledore is the one that names the prefects uh that didn't seem very likely did it that's probably not something he was anticipating no who do you think he thought would get to be a prefect harry Seems logical, right? Yeah, everybody says um, says um, that I thought you would get it, Harry. Yeah. So what? Uh, who else ends up being a prefect? Okay. Um. Um. Her, they they all hear a scream, and then Hermione runs up the stairs into the room. Um, and she's holding her letter in her hand, and her hair is crazy. Um, and and um, she's. Um, Hermione sees Harry holding the prefix badge, um, and she's like, 
I knew you'd get it because she got one too. Yeah, she thinks that it's Harry's badge. And and he's like, uh, no, shoving it back into Ron's hand. He's like, uh, that's Ron's. And Hermione's like, oh. And Harry has to take a moment and realize, did I even want to be prefect? Do I, am I even sad about this? And what does he decide? He decides that he's actually happy for Ron. That he, right. he's not jealous of Ron. He's happy for Ron. But in, in reality, why do you think when looking, let's say at least at those three kids, why do you think Dumbledore picked Ron and Hermione and not Harry? I seriously have no idea. I think it's because Dumbledore knows Harry's got bigger things to deal with. And that being a prefect is a job. It's got responsibilities. Do you think Harry needs any more responsibilities other than not being killed by dark wizards? Yeah, no. So he's going to, you know, Dumbledore wants the school to run well, but he also wants Harry to be alive. So in order for the school to run well, they need prefects that can actually pay attention. Now, that said, he still picked two students who are likely to be embroiled in whatever... Harry is doing. Yeah, crazy adventures that Harry is going through. Because... They're pretty much, both of them are pretty much in every adventure Harry goes on. Except for in the third book, um, when Ron had broken his leg and Harry and Hermione went back in time. Yeah, so there's a disturbance upstairs and Moody peers into a, it's like a wardrobe or a closet or something with his magical eyeball. And he confirms what sort of magical creature is trapped upstairs. He thinks it's a bogger, probably. The interesting thing about that is he looks at it with his magic eyeball, which can see through walls and disguises and invisibility cloaks. And, you know, we don't we don't know the, the actual nature of the magic eye, but we know... It can see through most invisible things. <laughs> it can see through things, but it also seems like maybe it can see the trueness of things. Like, I, you know, it can probably see through Polyjuice Potion and all sorts of stuff. What do you mean? I, it can see... The real person who is oh. had the polyjuice potion. That might even be one of the reasons that Barty Crouch Jr. took the guise of Moody because Moody might have been able to see who he really was uh. if he had taken some other professor, you know? Smart. Also smart that no one was familiar with Moody <laughs> other than Dumbledore that year. So they mm-hmm. wouldn't know if he was acting super weird. But um, so he says there's probably a bogart up there. The year before, Professor Lupin tells us that no one knows what Bogarts really look like because as soon as you see them, they turn into your greatest fear. So no one's ever had time to look at one. Yeah, no one actually knows what what a um what a Bogart looks like. So the question here is, did Moody look with his magic eye and see his greatest fear and assume it's a Bogart, or did he see what they really look like because he's the only one that knows? Something to think about. They don't say. But uh, it's an interesting idea that maybe he is like one of the only people that knows what a Boggart really looks like. I think it's probably what it really looks like because, you know, the Boggart doesn't know that Moody is looking at him. and That's true. And they're not all standing in the line like they were in the third year. That's also true. So perhaps the Boggart has to realize it's being watched before it takes a uh, form. Also, I'm not even sure if Moody has a greatest fear. He seems pretty fearless. <laughs> but uh, Well, everybody has a greatest fear. Mrs. Weasley, speaking of greatest fears, says she's going to go deal with the Boggart. And Moody shows Harry a picture of the original Order of the Phoenix. And there do, was a bunch of people in it. Do you remember some of the members? There were both his parents. Mm-hmm. There was Wormtail. I think there was Kingsley. Let's see. Here's a list. Um, Moody himself, Dumbledore, Daedalus Diggle, Marlene McKinnon, uh, Frank and Alice Longbottom, who are obviously the parents of of Neville Longbottom, uh, Emmeline Vance. There's Remus Lupin, Benji Finwick, uh, Edgar Bones, who is the brother of Amelia Bones from the Wizengamot. Yeah. He's also dead. Uh, Podmore. Uh, yeah, I always thought that Podmore and Fenwick sound, sounded like Potter and um, Flitwick. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Caradoc Dearborn, 
who vanished six weeks after the photo was taken. Hagrid was there. Elphias Dodge was there. Doge, Elphias Doge, perhaps. So I think so. I'm assu- I'm assuming that Hagrid was allowed to do magic when he was in the order. Probably secretly, because he was not allowed after he was a child. Well, that's true. So, you know, he would have been like 18-ish, 17 or 18, when he was forbidden from doing magic. So I bet he was doing it no, well, on the sly. Well, he he got expelled in either his second or third year. Oh, so he was only like 12 or 13? Probably. He was just still like nine feet tall? Yeah. So, um... Harry is kind of seeing this legacy. Don't you think at this point, seeing all these people and his parents, that he feels like he should be made a member of the order? I don't know, because they're all smiling and waving. And he said, um, Moody says, I think you might find this interesting, Harry. And then Harry feels um, sort of um, sort of sad because he's seeing um, his his parents and um, all these other people, including Wormtail, that are basically like half of them or more are going to die like like a few weeks later. Yeah. So if so if the you know twelve people in this photo, six of them are dead. He sees who's currently in the order. So you think he assumes maybe about half of them will be dead before this is all over? Yeah. It's possible. Um, I still wonder if he feels like he should be officially inducted into the order, since it's kind of all about what's happening to him anyway. He still feels like he's sort of on the outside of everything that's happening in his life. He's not in charge of anything. So Mrs. Weasley had gone up to deal with the Boggart. Uh, Harry goes upstairs, and how does he find Mrs. Weasley? Um, she's sitting in the corner of a room crying. Mm-hmm. And um, holding her eyes over her face. Holding her hands over her eyes. Right. Yeah. And what's the problem? Um, she sees her greatest fear because it turns out it was a boggart. And what does she see? Isn't that in the next chapter? No. Okay. Um, she she sees um, Ron lying on the dead uh, on the floor dead. And then she tries to ridiculous him away. And what does he turn into? Um. Um, it goes from Ron to Ginny to, to Fred and George, Fr- and eventually um, Harry. Yeah. So when Harry comes in, then there's also um, Mr. Weasley. Pretty much every fa- um, um, every member of the family except for Charlie. So then Harry comes in, and there's Harry looking at dead Harry on the floor. <laughs> Remus and uh, Lupin, uh, Remus and Sirius come in, and they see. Two dead Harrys, or see a Harry and a dead Harry. <laughs> Lupin knows what's going on, so Lupin ridiculous ridiculous is the boggart, and he vanishes in a puff of smoke. Yeah, he um he either ridiculouses it into a moon, um, because that's his greatest fear, or he steps in front of Mrs. Weasley, and then there's the moon. So uh, Sirius has a very different reaction. Do you remember what Sirius does? When he sees the fake dead Harry on the floor, does I don't I don't remember. Does does he go over to Mrs. Weasley? He didn't do anything. He's really upset. He just kind of looks at the floor. Um, what do you think that reminds him of? I don't really know. Well, who was the first person to find James and Lily after they'd been killed? He it was, was Sirius. Oh. So, what do you think seeing a vision of dead Harry reminds Sirius of? It reminds him of um, um, Lily and James Potter. Reminds him of seeing his best friend dead. Reminds him of James. Right. And to him, it's you know completely real. It's on the floor. It's right there. It's probably reminding him of perhaps the worst day of his entire life. Also, um, the Boggarts, um, they look like real people. Like They're exactly like real yeah. people. So it's very upsetting for him. He doesn't really try and help because he's... Sort of in shock by all of it, at least for a couple of minutes. Uh, Chapter 10, Luna Lovegood. So Harry's having some bad dreams, sort of these scar-hurting dreams that he's been having uh, about his parents and about Mrs. Weasley and Ron and Hermione and about a big corridor that ends in a locked door. 
this is one of those things where Harry is not sure what his dreams are supposed to mean. It, does it mean something? Am I seeing a vision? Is any of this from real life or am I seeing memories? What am I seeing? You am know? I seeing the future? I'm seeing something that is happening right now. Yeah. So when you don't know if, you know, he, he understands that at least some component of his dreams has to do with reality, but he doesn't know if it's past or future or, or how to react to any of it. Uh, Ron wakes him up and they get ready to go to King's Cross to head to Hogwarts uh, so all this has happened before the school year. This has been a very eventful summer for Harry. Yeah, it's like last year at the Quidditch, at the Quidditch World Cup. Yeah, he never gets a break, this guy. Um, he, he never gets to take any time off, you know? Yeah, it's weird because Voldemort takes the summers off, but um, <laughs> but other evil dudes don't like his Death Eaters. <laughs> yeah, which is to say that Voldemort probably has taken no time off. He's just told other people to do his evil bidding. But... He's still not there, so. Yeah, we don't we don't really know what his plan is yet. We understand that he there may be something he needs that he didn't have before. So perhaps this is what Harry's dream has to deal with. Uh, Sirius goes with them as the dog, and uh, with Moody and Tonks, and without Podmore, they can't find Podmore, and they're sick of waiting for him. I believe. Yeah, um, and I think Mrs. Weasley tries to. Um, convince Sirius not to go because it would be too dangerous. Yeah, I guess Podmore is one of their guards, and so they're hoping to have him help them guard Harry, perhaps. So they make it to Platform 9 and 3 quarters. Harry says goodbye, and they get on the train. Ron and Hermione don't sit with Harry, because where do they go? They have to go to um, the... Um, they have to like either search the train or go to the prefix um, place in the back of the train. Yeah, they go to the special prefect compartment. Ooh la la. I I don't know what's so special about. It. I think the regular the regular compartments are just fine. Well, it's exclusive. That's what makes it special. What is exclusive? It means only certain people can go here. So, for instance, let's say you have a club, and you say only people with brown hair can be in this club then all of a sudden the people with blonde hair want to be in it, but can't. Mm -hmm. And so by saying this card is only for prefects. It makes it more special. It makes people envious of it just because they know they can't go there. That's sort of a manufactured uh, specialness that that exists all Mm. throughout the world. My friend Adam was um, talking about making a club, and um, his mom suggested... um, that he definitely needs to make a No Sisters Allowed part. No Sisters Club? Oh, I guess he could still let you in. You're nobody's sister. That's true. So uh, Harry and Ron, or Harry and uh, Ginny can't go to this Prefect's Super Club. So they, they meet up with Neville, and uh, they head into a compartment where a very peculiar little girl is already sitting. Who is she? Um. Yeah, Ginny says, um, um... And there is only Looney Lovegood. Mm-hmm. Um, um, so she, they they open the door, and then uh, that compartment's full, I guess. So then I think this is where they notice that she is also reading magazine. She's reading the Quibbler upside down. She has her wand behind her ear, and she's wearing a necklace made of butterbeer corks. She looks sort of... Um, Looney. <laughs> Yeah, not not like disheveled like Hermione looks sometimes, but she's uh, very unique. She's got her own style, and she doesn't seem to have any concern for what other people might think of how she looks. That's good. It's good for hers. Yeah, it's a it's certainly good uh, a good trait. It's not a trait that Harry knows yet to recognize as a good quality. Um, Harry is always very accepting, but he's also very young. And so if someone says, oh, that's Looney Lovegood, he's going to be like, oh, great. You know, he'll just assume that there's something wrong with her because other people say there is. But he'll learn for himself very shortly her true character. Uh, Neville got a uh, birthday present, and he's super into plants. Do you remember what his birthday present was? Wasn't it some kind of... Wasn't it... A nim- Nimbulus Nimbletonia or something? Mimbulus Mimbletonia was in... Yeah, very close. That was his birthday present. And uh, it's a very rare plant, right? Mm-hmm. He tries to show off the defensive mechanism of this plant, and what happens to Harry? The, the, 
there's stink sap inside it, and it um, s- um, flies everywhere around that compartment, and everyone gets covered. It gets all over Harry, for sure. Because, yeah. uh, and, and being sap, it's sticky, so you are stuck to something that stinks. So that sounds awful. Uh, and then who shows up right at the moment that Harry is covered with stink sap? Cho Chang. And as we know from last year, Harry had a bit of a crush on Cho Chang. The, but the exact person who had to show up at that exact time. Yeah. And Harry, Harry probably would not want Cho to see him covered, covered in, in stink, stink sap. sap. He might want to impress her if he's still got a bit of a crush on her. She seemed to like him, but Cedric asked her out first. And so she was sort of torn between the two. And now Cedric's dead. Yee. So who knows if it's an appropriate... Uh, thing for Harry to still like Cho or for them to like each other. He doesn't know. So he doesn't know where they stand, which is uh, someday you will learn the major component of teenage relationships is no one knowing where they stand or who likes who or how much or why. (laughs) Teenagers' lives are sometimes really confusing. Uh, Almost exclusively. And Harry is certainly entering that period of his life. Luna passes out the quibbler. I don't know if we know at this point, but Luna's father is the publisher of the quibbler. Yeah, I think she tells us that later. Like, I think that somebody mentions, um, you read the quibbler, that's a bunch of garbage. And she's like, my father wrote this. And then right off the bat, the first thing Harry reads is a story about Sirius Black escaping from Azkaban. And then it says, according to their source, it may not have been Sirius. And that uh, Sirius is, in fact, Stubby Boardman, the lead singer of the Hobgoblins. So it says something like Sirius Black, uh, you know, murderous killer or beautiful singer or something like that. Mm -hmm. Um, So obviously that's not true. Yeah, Sirius Black is really Sirius Black. Yeah, so right off the bat, Harry thinks this is probably... Uh, garbage, right? Probably yeah. probably no truth to the quibbler. Maybe Luna Lovegood's dad is crazy. Xenophilius Lovegood is his name. I don't we probably won't learn that till the very end. Another article is about Fudge uh being accused of trying to take over Gringotts, the wizarding bank. And there's some stuff about Quidditch and uh a, a story about a wizard who says he flew to the moon on a broom. Yeah, it's sort of like the cow who jumped over the moon, except with a wizard on a broomstick. <laughs> and uh, then there's also the spell um, that you have to turn the magazine upside down for. So now we know why Luna was reading the magazine upside down. Oh, right, right. Yeah, that was a spell to turn someone's ear into kumquats. It's a small fruit. Uh, Draco shows up with Crab and Goyle. Boo. And uh, Draco says he'll be dogging Harry's footsteps. Wait, aren't, is, isn't either Ron or Hermione, I know one of them's already there, because then Ron or Hermione does something to him. Uh, I don't know, what do you think happens? I think that, um, that one of the two, um, threatens to, like, give him detention or something. Yeah, I don't know. I'm not so sure about that. Uh, Maybe. Uh, I do know that he says he'll be dogging Harry's footsteps, which kind of means like I'll be watching you. And but he wonders, did he say dogging in regards to Sirius? Yeah, because he knew about Sirius. So that gets him kind of worried. They get to Hogwarts and they head off to the carriages that normally take everyone but the first years to the uh, to the castle. Now, as far as they know, the carriages drive themselves, but this year it's different. Because obviously they're magic. Yeah, but this year it's different. Why are they different this year? Because they're not exactly horses. There's some kind of horse creature pulling in the carriages this year. It's like a dead horse. It's like a skin and bones horse with leathery bat wings. It's like um, a... um, a bl- black and blue um, and gray um, weird little horse, dead horse thingy. Cause, they've got empty white yeah. eyes. They look like ghoul, you know, ghost horses so, almost. And th- um, some of their, uh, I think it said that they were kind of like the mentor's cloaks. like Yeah, see-through? Yeah. So everyone sees this, right? Everyone's freaked out? 
Mm-mm. What happens? Um, Harry's uh, like, why did they get these horses? What's the deal? Yeah, Harry tells um, Ron, because Hermione's and Ginny are already in the carriage, um, and he tells Ron, he's like, uh, he's like, what is wrong with those horses? Ron's like, what horses? She's like, don't you see those insane dead horses? He's like, are you okay, Harry? Yeah, so they're, they're, the, the carriages drive themselves just like always. But Luna kind of leans over and she's like, don't worry, Harry, I see them too. I, they've always been there. Do you know, does she explain at this point what they are and why they can see them? No. She doesn't? No. So you don't currently know what they're called? No. Okay, well, I won't say anything then. There is a reason, though, that only Harry and Luna can see them. I wonder. <laughs> and uh, I know what it is. But I guess I'll tell you later, or you'll find out when you start reading again tonight. Mm. Uh, chapter 11, The Sorting Hat's New Song. Yeah, it's really long this time. I, I'm actually the one who read that. <laughs> they uh, the, the kids all head to the Great Hall, and they're going to have their opening ceremony, their sorting hat ceremony. They notice a new teacher at the uh, table who's sitting there where, I guess at this point, not Professor Moody would have been last year. Yeah. Uh, Barty Coach Jr. <laughs> yeah, but who's sitting there now? Professor Umbridge. Now Professor Umbridge, current, formerly undersecretary to the minister, Dolores Umbridge. How does Harry describe the way she looks? She looks like a toad. Looks like a toad sitting on a rock, I think is what he says. And Yeah. But when she stands up, she looks log. like she's still sitting down. Yeah, I think she's a log. It looks like she's sitting on a log or something. Yeah. Um, so he recognizes her from the trial. Obviously, he's probably already not fond of her because she said some not so nice things during his trial. To Dumbledore. The uh, Sorting Hat ceremony starts and the Sorting Hat sings a weird song about all of the houses uh, calling for unity, that they should all work together and trust each other. And he warns them of like danger coming. Yeah, so... Um, Harry, Hermione, and Ron are now sitting together at the table, and they're like, the, the Sorting Hat has never given us warnings. And then uh, Nearly Headless Nick is like, not so fast. It does when it thinks it needs to, because it is bound by honor to protect the students of Hogwarts. Then one of the, then one of, I think it's Ron who says, how can he know he's a hat? Yeah, so obviously the hat is imbued with some sort of consciousness. It can make decisions. You know what gave Harry a sword one time? It knows when it knows when Hogwarts students are in trouble and wants to help. So even the hat knows that everyone's not safe. But still, the grown-ups, the ministry, most of the other people in the wizarding world don't want to believe that everyone's in danger. So they have the sorting uh, ceremony. After dinner, Dumbledore announces that Dolores Umbridge is their new defense against the dark arts teacher. Umbridge interrupts him. And they're like, um, <laughs> <laughs> and then all the kids are like, what, what, what? Nobody's ever interrupted Dumbledore during his I wish I could What's find, I wish I could find text of the speech that she says, because it's so perfectly horrible. It really is. <laughs> she says here, let me find it. Okay. She says <laughs> she interrupts Dumbledore, which is already rude enough. Uh, he says, uh, her caretaker, Mr. Filch, has asked me to remind you. <coughs> he looks at her and she just takes over. Thank you, Headmaster, for those kind words of welcome. Even though you didn't actually say that I could talk. The Ministry of Magic has always considered the education of young witches and wizards to be of vital importance. Although each Headmaster has brought something new to this historic school. Progress for the sake of progress? must be discouraged. Let us preserve what must be preserved, perfect what can be perfected, and prune practices that ought to be prohibited. Dumbledore says, Thank you, Professor Umbridge. That really was most illuminating. What do you think Dumbledore meant when he said that was most illuminating? I don't even know what illuminating means. It means bringing to light. It means revealing, revelatory. Uh, that probably means it was very informational and helpful for this year. Well, on the surface, that is what he means. There are two other ways you could take that. Number one, it could be, thank you for illuminating the fact that you are completely full of it 
<laughs> or perhaps thank you for telling me right away that you are not someone I can trust because you are full of it <laughs> uh, or that you are going to hold us back <laughs> because she is obviously not there on Dumbledore's behest. She, she was not appointed by Dumbledore. He would not want her there, right? No, but he hired her? I Well, we'll find out soon enough who hired her. Um, oh, let me guess, the ministry. We'll see. Uh, <laughs> because Dumbledore definitely does not approve of her as, uh, you know, an addition to Hogwarts. After dinner, Dumbledore, yeah, he tells everybody about Umbridge. Hermione explains that the ministry is interfering with Hogwarts. So it's safe to say that Dumbledore doesn't want her there. Perhaps the ministry installed her as a sort of a spy, maybe, or someone to uh, make sure that Hogwarts is going the direction the ministry wants it to go and not the direction it's already going under Dumbledore's, you know, headmastership. So no matter, no matter why she's there, it seems like it's bad for everybody. Uh, Harry heads off to Gryffindor Tower and he doesn't know the password, but Neville does. Because it's finally something he can remember. What is it? It's um, Nimbulus Mimbletonia. Mimbulus Mimbletonia Mimbus. with an M. Mimb- Mimbulus Mimbletonia. I always thought it was in. Yeah, Harry and Neville head up the dor- dormitory. Dean Thomas and Seamus Finnegan are already there, and Harry and Seamus get into it. Uh, what happens with those guys? They start getting into a fight with each other. Why? What's Seamus say? He says that um, he's been reading the Daily Prophet, and um, I don't remember why, but he's really mad with Harry. He says, me mum reads the Daily Prophet and says, you're a liar, and Dumbledore's not back. She believes the Daily Prophet. And he says, I don't care what your mom thinks. Don't you talk about me mom. And then they get in a fight. So, uh, But not a wizard fight, thank God. Uh, almost. Harry pulls his wand. And Seamus puts his fist up like he's going to punch Harry in the face. But still not a wizard fight. Well, Harry's got his wand out. Well, yeah. Half a wizard fight. It could have progressed easily. Uh, Neville says, my grandmother told me Voldemort was always coming back. I knew this was going to happen. And if Dumbledore says it's true, then it's definitely true. So this is the first uh, glimpse we get of now that things are getting real serious who's going to be on Harry's side and who's not like, it seems like it's dividing his friends now. And, uh, as it becomes an issue of national concern, everyone's going to have an opinion. And the newspaper isn't helping anything. I'll tell you who else isn't helping. Professor, uh, chapter 12, Dolores or professor Umbridge. So Fred and George have developed some new, you know, joke products. And they want people to test them out. I know earlier they had to get some secret ingredients from Mundungus Fletcher that you're not supposed to be able to buy to make their skiving snack boxes. And haven't we introduced those before? I don't think so. Um, Do you you know what skiving is? No. Skipping school. We don't use that word here. Oh. So uh, it's like playing hooky. Uh, Hooky? Uh, yeah, that also means skipping school. Okay. So the Skyving Snack Box is designed to make you appear ill. Can I tell how it Sure, works? go ahead. Okay. Um, I don't even know if we inter- introduced to it here, but go ahead. Um, half of the... Um, well, it's candy, sort of. It looks like a jelly bean, sort of. And you eat half of it, and then you're like... Uh, and there's a few different kinds, like... One I know makes you throw up, so if you ate that half and then you threw up in class, then you would have to go to Madame Pomfrey. And then um, when you were ready to go back to class, like if there was a class you actually liked, then you would put the other piece in your mouth when, um, when everybody was not looking. And then you're like, oh, I'm feeling much better. And you go back to class. Yeah, that's just one of the things in the snack box. There's like five or six different items to give you different symptoms. I know. I can't remember them all. We'll, we'll get into it. I'm sure it's going to come up later as they start perfecting their, their various potions and, and candies and whatnot. At breakfast, Hermione tells him that Lavender also doesn't believe in him. Lavender Brown. 
so he knows there's even more students that think he's a liar. And Angelina tells Harry that she's the Quidditch captain. Because uh, last year, Wood... Um, Wood? Um, Oliver Wood, the uh, other um, Gryffindor Quidditch captain, left um, from Hogwarts. Yeah, he graduated. So Angelina is our new Quidditch captain. And uh, George mentions the tests that are coming up. What are the tests that are coming up this year? Owls. The owls. The ordinary wizarding levels. Someone explained to me in one of our previous episodes, and I'm going to give you a very brief rundown of what owls and newts are supposed to be. There are uh, British tests that uh, you do your first uh, couple of years of high school, and then you can decide to continue with uh, sort of harder courses by like qualifying for them with these tests that are like owls and newts. Uh, so you might take a, uh, I can't remember the abbreviation for it, but you might take this test to go into a more like college level math course or college level uh, science course or something. And if you don't take them, you just keep taking regular classes, uh, which means you're not going to specialize in this one category. These books, to me, make it seem like the students are forced to take these tests. But I th- I'm pretty sure it's optional. But you know, like, you know, because Percy took them all because he wanted to be the best at everything. Hermione's probably going to take them all. But yeah, somebody said he had, like, 12 newts. But uh, you don't have... It's, from what I understand, you do not have to take them. I'm sure someone else will correct me if I'm wrong on that. But they do mention that they're very difficult and that the year after that, what do they have to take? Then they have to take newts. And what does that not really stand for? Fred and George call them um, nastily exhausting wizarding levels. Yeah, and I don't or tests. Yeah, uh, and I don't. Tests. I don't even remember what That's they really right. stand for. Uh, Cho comes up to Harry for a talk, and they have kind of an awkward exchange of glances. And Harry asks, "How's your stu- summer?" And then uh, inside his head, he's kicking himself. He's like, "Oh my god, that was so stupid." Yeah, say something cooler, Harry. Come on. He mentions the last time she comes up, he, he, or this might even be the time where he's saying he sure wishes he was sitting at a table full of people that had just laughed at an awesome joke he made and that Cho could see, oh, everyone loves Harry. He's, he's hilarious. That's, that's probably it. Cause, uh, I remember Harry thinking about, um, he, um, saying to himself, at least you're not covered in stinks at this time. Yeah, that's true. And then um, it looked like Cho was thinking the same thing. Yeah, exactly. And and they're both nervous. Uh, so who comes in to make things even worse? Um, Ron. Ron kind of sits down between them. Uh, Ron and Hermione. Actually. And he's like, hey, well, whatever. And he starts talking about the Tuts Hill Tornadoes, the Tuts Hill Tornadoes, um, uh, a Quidditch team. Um, it. And then um, he notices that Cho has a badge for the tornadoes. He's like, do you support the tornadoes? And she's like, yes, yes, I do. I have since I was a child. Yeah, so he ruins their potentially romantic talk by being kind of a clueless, bumbling moron. (laughs) Um, At potions, they're supposed to make a draft of peace. And a lot of the kids mess up, but Snape decides to punish Harry. Specifically. Yeah. Even though a lot of the other kids didn't get it right, even close. And then uh, Harry has divination with Professor Trelawney. She says something like, I've been following your fortunes all summer, and I'm glad to see you're all in good health, as I predicted you would be. But what has she predicted for Harry for like the last three years? That he would die. Death, 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 destruction, mayhem. He's like, ah, ah. So she's still full of it. My dear boy, you have the grim. So we know that she has uh, accidentally made a good prediction at least once, (laughs) but that she can't do it when she needs to. Um, um, She's essentially a fraud. Just like you said... Um, she actually has some good predictions that are actually true, but only the ones that she said she couldn't remember. But here's where everything Turns go- goes bananas. bad. This is where Harry, they finally show up to Defense Against the Dark Arts. And this is their first class with Umbridge. She tells them uh, they will not need their wands. Put away your wand. 
friends, get out your books. And they're reading these rudimentary, almost childlike books. Yeah, um, she says... Defensive magical theory. Um, she says that the last few years they've had some infuriating with um, their with their learning or something because... Oh, uh, interference, you mean? Interference, yes. Yeah. Okay. Um with their last with their previous teachers because they've been teaching them all the wrong stuff or whatever and um she's like turn to chapter 1 we are going we are going to um she she basically says in um different words that we're going to be um studying baby stuff yeah, and Hermione's like, why would we put away our wands? And she says, you know, why would you need your wands? You're just going to learn about theory of defense consider. And Harry's like, whoa, whoa, what about theory? What what about actually defending ourselves against like, dark wizards? And, and she's like, child, why would a child ever need? And he's like, because we get attacked all the time by evil. And she shuts him down. And he's like, um, she's like, do you expect that a dark wizard is just going to jump into this classroom and start tossing cusses? Yeah, and she, she shuts Harry down and says, I want to tell you now. You've been told a certain dark wizard has returned to power, and that is a lie. She knows that they know that she's talking about Harry. Everyone knows that she's talking about Harry, but she doesn't name him specifically. So with all but using his name directly... She says, Harry Potter is a liar. Do not believe him. He's trying to corrupt your mind. He's insane like Dumbledore. And Harry gets in a fight with her. He says, Voldemort is back. You're crazy. And what does she do? Um, she starts act, act, acting all nice. And she's like, come here, boy. And um, then she takes a quill and writes a note um, rolls it up, and then she puts a spell on it so that Harry can't open it. And she's like, go take this down to Professor McGonagall, please. And Harry takes it to McGonagall. What does the note say? It says that he said that Voldemort was back. Well, it also says he gets a week's detention, too. Oh, right, right. So he's going to have a week's detention for telling the truth. At this point, this begins Harry's... Um, you know, Harry doesn't really have a problem with this. He he's his decision is clear. But the the decision he has to make is do I keep telling the truth and keep getting in trouble or do I understand that I'm expected to lie and and not get in trouble? Harry immediately decides or do, or do like do I just shut up and then which to him is the same as lying. Trouble. Not telling the truth, not speaking up when he knows the truth to him is the same as lying and he's not going to be a liar. So like telling a bad, it's like keeping a bad secret. It's called a lie of omission. He doesn't want to do that. So he's decided right away. Fine. I guess I'm just going to get in trouble all year. Cause I'm not going to stop telling the truth. I'm not going to lie. I'm not going to say Voldemort's not back. Yeah. Either, um, he's going to get in trouble and have detention every day for the entire year and then feel like it's, um, like it's an extra bonus class. That's horrible. Yeah. I had, I had the same problem that or, Harry had at this age where if I knew, if I knew for a fact, a grown up was wrong about the facts of a, of a situation, I couldn't let it go. And all of my other friends would be like, shut up, man, we're going to get in worse trouble. And I'm like, it doesn't matter. It doesn't Be matter Well, if we get in trouble. It did. Eh, you know, it's a decision you have to make. And I was, I was very obsessed with justice. So that Harry knows that this is going to be a problem, but he's decided not to bow down to this crazy woman. And McGonagall tells him, take it easy, Harry, because she's reporting directly to the minister. So now we know that McGonagall or that Umbridge is Not basically inside. she's basically a spy. She is Cornelius Fudge's spy inside Hogwarts because as Dumbledore says during the trial, the ministry does not actually have the right to expel students. The ministry has no control over Hogwarts, what happens inside Hogwarts walls. Cuz he's basically he's Dumbledore is basically like the minister for Hogwarts. <laughs> 
Well, it's not even that. It's just that it's an independent school. It's not governed by the ministry. Fudge doesn't like that because that means that there is a place in Britain where, or in the UK, where Dumbledore has more power than Fudge does. So Fudge is now going to start trying to figure out how to get his influence inside Hogwarts. And that's where we end. Uh, when we come back for our next episode, we're going to be on chapter 13, Detention with Dolores. So obviously Harry has this week of detention. We're going to find out what it's like. And we're going to start to see more about just what an unhinged lunatic Dolores Umbridge is. And how her ability to perceive reality is very different than uh, perhaps a sane thinking person. So, uh... I would like to say thank you for listening. Thanks for uh, giving us some nice reviews in iTunes. If you would like to do that and you haven't, by all means, go to iTunes and uh, post a couple of nice words about the podcast. And we're going to continue making them. uh, Looks like about every two weeks as Lily reads through a chunk of chapters and uh, finishes up a big enough, you know, five or six chapters that we can actually record an episode. If you do enjoy the podcast, please check out our Patreon at patreon.com slash hijinksensue, H-I-J-I-N-K-S-E-N-S-U-E, or go over to podcast.hijinksensue.com, leave us a comment on the episode, or send us an email from there as well if you have any questions or any corrections or omissions or anything that we might need to bring up in a future episode. My name is Joel Watson. And I am Lily Watson. And uh, what do you think? Good episode? Does everybody vote on it? You get a vote. I get a vote. What's your vote? Probably, yeah! Okay, great episode, pal. We got it. This book is so awesome!